You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here, and I have so much enjoyed um, studying in the book of John. And uh, many of you uh, women have been part of the study as well on Tuesday morning and Wednesday night, and we'd love to have you be part of that if you want to continue to meet in fellowship with other women studying the word. I'm going to dive right in. I love um, this chapter. It has so many rich things in it that we can learn from. John writes this account of Jesus feeding the multitude about six months after. So last week we talked about the invalid at the Pool of Bethesda who was sick. Um, Whatever was ailing him, he was there for 38 years until Jesus came and healed him. So now take this six months later. That was in Jerusalem. Now John is writing about Jesus in the Galilee region. This is unique. Um, This is a unique miracle in that It's one of the only miracles that is mentioned in all four Gospels. And so there are many miracles that happen in all of the Gospels, but this particular uh, miracle happens in all of the Gospels. It's, It's written about in all the Gospels besides the resurrection. So that's also the miracle that's in all four Gospels. This miracle also is unique in that um, John, the Apostle John, writes most of what he has witnessed and the life of Jesus that takes place in Jerusalem and Judea. So this is unusual that now John is writing about Jesus in the Galilee. And so, um, again, because it's written in all four Gospels, each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have a different insight on what happened um, in on this hill in the Galilee region. So I wanted to give you an idea of what it may have looked like because th- we, we love the Galilee and uh, many of you have gone to Israel with us and we'd love to have you go next time we make that trip. This um, particular hill is called the Mount um, Arbel. And so it, it's called a mountain, but I want you to kind of have an idea because Jesus wasn't really climbing this mountain, so to speak, but but a hill. And so this is Mount Arbel. We love to go there because a couple reasons. One, we love to worship there because you overlook the entire Galilee, Tiberias region. You get to see Tiberias. You get to see Golan Heights. And then, of course, the whole Sea of Galilee, which is just beautiful. And so we get to see where Jesus did most of his ministry. 70% of his ministry happened in the Galilee region. So this is Mount Arbel. So you have an idea of, you know, where he was and when, when this, where this miracle took place. So let's go ahead and jump into the word in John chapter 6, 1 through 4. And I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. 
Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So I want to stop there um, and just let's talk about that for a minute. It was uh, this time a huge, um, great multitude followed Jesus because they saw Jesus doing miracles. They, uh, he's, they, he was healing the sick and he was touching people who needed to be touched. And so they wanted to be part of that. And they were following Jesus around, this big crowd. And this, keep in mind that as we've gone through John, we've seen how Jesus' ministry has taken full effect. The Holy Spirit came. There's just all this happening. And so this is a wonderful example of the power of the Holy Spirit at work as he's healing the sick. John's account doesn't record this, but Mark does. And, and also Luke, that not only did he heal the sick when we talk about this story, but he also taught um, the, the kingdom of God to them. He was teaching them. And in Mark 6, 34, it says this. And I'm going to go back to some of these gospels because I want to, want to really show you a picture, um, a complete picture of what was happening here in the heart of Jesus. It says in Mark 6, 34, a vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. And then in Luke, it talks about how he welcomed them, teaching them about the kingdom of God and curing those who were ill. I want to bring attention to this because you see the compassion and the care of Jesus for the lost and for those seeking. If you're familiar with the story, and many of you are, uh, Jesus feeds this huge crowd of people, and it's a miracle, but let's not miss what else happens here. Jesus welcomes them. And I think this is important because you're going to hear something as we go through this that these people didn't always have the right intention, but he welcomed them. He had compassion on them. He taught them, and he did heal the sick. As wonderful as it is to fill our bellies, and we, when we're hungry, we want to be fed, but we need more of Jesus, and Jesus knew that. We need his word. We need his Holy Spirit. We need his presence in our life. So let's keep reading John 6, 5 through 7. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Now, this is interesting, and I don't know, maybe uh, you've asked this question as well, but why did he ask Philip? There were other disciples there, but why, why was he asking Philip this question? And I have a few suggestions why that, that he was asked. One is, in a crowd or in a group of people, in this case, the disciples and Jesus, there's usually one person that stands out who's a logistical person who's a good coordinator, a good facilitator. And I'm, I'm, I kind of relate to that because I think of myself as a pretty good logistical person, a coordinator, um, someone who can facilitate. And perhaps Philip was this person. 
And because when you walk around with 13 people, and as they were from region to region, going from one place to another, you need somebody who's going to coordinate. Where are you going to lodge? Where, what are you going to eat? What are, how are you going to take care of the amenities um, to take care of everyone in this group? And perhaps P uh, Philip was this person. Another thought is that Philip was from that region. So he was from that area. That was kind of his hometown in the village called Bethsaida. And so it could have been like, hey, Philip, you're from around here. What do you know? Um, what are the possibilities to feed this crowd? But again, we look at verse 6, and it says he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And isn't it just like Jesus to test us, to bring us out of those f familiar knowings, the things that we, we're familiar with, the things that we're comfortable with. Philip was from around that region, so it was really this test to see where he was and to see where his faith was. Jesus does this because he wants to do a greater work in us, and he does that in us as well. He will take us out of those comfortable places to do a greater work and let us participate in the greater work with him. And it's risky. It's always risky. It's never comfortable. And it's always, but it's always a place of growth. And it's an interesting thing in this story because Jesus didn't really need the disciples. He knew what he was going to do. And I love this because I think, oh my gosh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for inviting us to be part of something so much greater, to open our eyes, to increase our faith. And it's astonishing because if you really stop and think about it, here we have Jesus, the creator of the universe, inviting us to participate with him. I love it. In Isaiah 40, it talks about the Godhead, the Trinity, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit at work. And it says this in Isaiah 40, who else has held the oceans in his hands? Who has measured the heavens with his fingers. Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Yet he invites us. And it also says that God is so compassionate. In that same passage, it says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently feed, lead the mother sheep with her, her young. It's so encouraging to know we serve a God who invites us. And in this one red letter sentence, he has invited us to participate. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? It wasn't like, man, I have a problem, Philip. 
I need you to help me figure this out. Because God isn't interested in just getting the job done. He is interested in developing the character and the discipleship of his people. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard us say that we are commissioned to make disciples who make disciples. And if you're new to our community, first of all, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. And in this church, we make disciples who make disciples. Now, we're, we do the best um, to raise up leaders and disciples, and we're certainly not perfect, but we are called to bring people alongside to learn, to lead, and to grow. And I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, you know, as somebody who is in the middle of this, uh, raising up disciples and mentoring and coaching, it is messy sometimes. It is not easy. Sometimes it's super frustrating. But oftentimes it's so fun and rewarding. And many times, I have to be honest, many times it's easier if we just do it ourselves. <laughs> but he has called us to raise and to make disciples who make disciples. I remember coming to Canby Four Square as a young woman 36 years ago. A young mom feeling very insecure about being in that lead position with my husband. But I had to dip my toe into the deep end. I felt very insecure. Um, fear was something I dealt with a lot and I still I have to have to confront that. But I had to get get past that in order to grow. I had to take those risks. I had to be uncomfortable in, in whether that was leading a small group or being part of a team and planning an event or facilitating a Bible study. I was afraid that I'd fail. And oftentimes, I still have those things rise up in me, but I have to real, realize these are the places he's called me to grow. Jesus always invites us. He says, come and see. So Philip says it would take a year's wage and it still wouldn't be enough. And remember, he's a logistical coordinator. He's looking, he's sizing up the crowd and he's going, wow, this is a lot of people. I don't know how we're going to feed all these people. We don't, even if we had enough money, but we don't have enough money. And we don't have a supply chain that we can go to. And even if we could get to the market, the market probably wouldn't have enough either. So, you know, when I think about Philip and his answer, it's really not that unfamiliar to me because it's how I respond sometimes. How is this going to be solved? I bring out my calculator and I punch in the numbers and the equations and I think it just doesn't add up. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I'm not sure how this is going to uh, be solved. You know, and especially right now when we're in this place of recession and the gas prices are so high, groceries are so high, um, you know, I can't really criticize Philip here because Philip is a lot like me. I doubt and I worry, and um, yet it's stories like this it's the story of Jesus doing miracles 
that my faith needs to grow. And I look at this miracle, and I need to remember that in my circumstances, the things that I face, Jesus can do that. And he has, and he will do what I can't do and what I need him to do. I have witnessed that, and so Jesus can. As we go on, then we see Andrew. Then Andrew, verse 8, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? You know, we love Andrew. And as we've gone through John, we, there's reasons that we really love Andrew. Every time we see Andrew, and when Andrew is mentioned, he's introducing someone to Jesus. We see in the first chapter of John that when John the Baptist came onto the scene and was talking and, and proclaiming that the Messiah is here, it says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew, Andrew introduced his brother to Jesus, and he's introducing this young boy now to Jesus the boy with the fish and the barley loaves. And as we go on into John in chapter 12, we see John introducing some Greeks to Jesus. They say to them, to Philip and Andrew, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. And so they go and they find Jesus. Andrew, in my imagination, is a guy who's always engaged. He's not satisfied to sit in the grandstands, the bleachers, or the just be a bystander. He's fully watching, but also wanting to participate in what's going on around him. Andrew is just always wanting to get involved. So Andrew spoke up. There's a young boy here with five bar barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Now, the barley loaves were not, are not maybe what you might think. They're not loaves. They're small pita bread and two small fish, probably about the size of sardines. This would be an adequate lunch for this little boy. His mom, you know, lovingly packed it for him. But what good is it for such a huge crowd? Because any way you cut it, it doesn't matter. There's no way this little lunch is enough to feed 5,000 people plus. And even if you divided it up, it's impossible. It says men alone numbered 5,000. So add the children, add the women, and there's probably close to 15 to 20,000 people who are there. But Jesus says in verse 10, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. He's saying, make the people sit down. Now he's telling his disciples this. Have the people sit down. Jesus is in no, you know, he's not panicked. He's not in a hurry. You can just imagine if you were catering anything for that matter, and you looked at the number of people that you were supposed to feed, and you knew you didn't have enough food you would be stressed out. 
And, but Jesus isn't stressed out. He's just have the people sit down. Make them sit, sit down. And in the other Gospels, it says in Mark and Luke that they were to sit down in an orderly fashion. It says to have them sit down in groups of about 50. So Jesus is basically saying this to the multitude, basically saying about the situation. I will feed you, but you need to submit to my order. Let's be honest. We all like it our own way. <laughs> I don't know what happened here, but I know what happens in our world right now, in our culture. In the last few years, everybody has an opinion on how it should be done, when it should be done, and who should do it. Don't tell me to sit down. I don't want to sit down with that group. I want to sit down with that group. As a matter of fact, I want to make my own group. <laughs> I'll do it my way. Your way, Jesus, is too restric restrictive. There are certain things that we just want to do. We think it's okay, and um, it's just too restrictive your way. I want all that you have to give me, Jesus, but I'll do it my way. This one statement, oftentimes overlooked, from Jesus should not be overlooked because I want to examine my own heart if you want if we want to receive all that Jesus wants to give us and he wants to give us a lot you need to come under his authority I need to come under his authority I need to come under his order this is a very true principle of the kingdom of God his order, his authority always brings blessing. Jesus says, I want to fill you. I want to feed you. I want to bless you. Here is my order for your life, and you will never hunger or thirst again. We see this also in John when he talks about the Samaritan woman that Jesus goes to. He says to this woman, I am going to give you water that will satisfy you forever. But there's certain things that you need to understand and come under this authority because I only want to bless you. He says, I am looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And John 4 says, the father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. And so we might be asking, okay, so what is, what is this principle, this kingdom principle? What, is, what does it mean to just be under his authority, to be in order? I'm going to make it super simple for you with just one verse from Micah 6.8. It says this, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right Love, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You can't walk humbly if you're doing it your own way. Verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks, 
Then he gave it to the disciples to distribute. In the hands of the boy, it was lunch for one. I believe the boy willingly, gladly gave it to Jesus. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. The bread didn't multiply in the disciples' hands. The miracle wasn't done in the disciples' hands. The miracle was done in the hands of Jesus. And then he gave it to the disciples. And there was no fanfare. Most of those people, probably 99% of those people didn't know where the bread came from. The disciples asked them to sit down under the order of Jesus. But there was no fanfare. It wasn't like, oh, look at the magic hands of Jesus making bread and, and multiplying fish. It's just like we read in John about the first miracle Jesus performed in, at the wedding in Cana. He turned the water into wine, but the only people who knew about that were just a handful of people. One, his mom, and then the servants that were asked to put the water into the jugs. And who got the credit for that? Not Jesus. It was the master of ceremonies. It was probably the father of the bride because the guest said, look, he saved the best for last. Afterwards, Jesus did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. The bread was multiplied as it was scattered. The increase comes when we give. Jesus could have instantly filled them up. He could have put their lunch in their pockets. He could have done a lot of different things in order to feed this multitude. But he involved his disciples. He used this opportunity to teach and to train his disciples. Just think, the disciples were part of this miraculous lunch. And this young boy got to participate as well. You're never too young. You're never too old to come and see, to step into those opportunities to experience Jesus. Verse 12, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. At this time, it was just unheard of to eat until you were full. And then with leftovers. And they were probably taking leftovers home with them so they'd have a meal later. Rarely did families or individuals have enough food to completely feel satisfied. Now, it's interesting because we're challenged to eat less. But in this day and age, they were challenged to have enough to eat. To be able to eat to its full satisfaction. Isn't that the way Jesus is? And this young kid, he probably had more than two small fish. And then he had that endless bread basket. Barley was mentioned. That it was a barley loaf. Barley pita bread. Barley was an inferior grain in those days. Barley loaves were considered low-value food. This is what poor people ate. 
Now, on the other hand, we spend a lot of money on this kind of bread, and especially if it's organic. <laughs> but in this, he feeds his people good, but it was simple. It was not artisan bread, but he gave them as much as they wanted. This really shows the giving character of God. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with, sh with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So gather up the fragments. He was generous, but he was never wasteful. There was an extravagance on what Jesus does and how he gives. And all those broken up pieces, gather them up into 12 large baskets. They speak of the principle of good stewardship. Now, these were the broken pieces that were left as they were passing around. They weren't taking things from people. This is the leftovers. To be a good steward of what we have, this is another kingdom principle. Be, be good stewards with our resources so that he can use those to the fullest. Be, be a good steward with our relationships, with our health, with our finances. It's a kingdom principle. It says in Matthew, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. To be a good steward with what we have, even when we don't think we have enough. There was a time that we got to go to uh, Kenya. And it was about four years ago. And there were many times um, while we were there that was just beautiful. We loved it, every bit of it. And I have some pictures that um, we're going to be showing in just a minute. But when we were at Kenya, one of the things that we, were, we had the opportunity to step into and were really blessed to be part of is they held their first annual seniors um, lunch. So all the elders of the community were invited to come and um, they came a long ways on foot. I mean, I'm talking miles on foot. And many of them were barefoot. And some of them had shoes that were just threadbare. But they came and um, it was such a great gathering. And they were expecting about 100, maybe 150. And they were going to prepare lunch for them. We had lunch that we were going to serve. They were going to have worship and a word. Um, they had the opportunity to have some medical training, um, talk about just things about diabetes and things like that, that a lot of the seniors dealt with. They were able to pick out glasses, reading glasses. Uh, we gave them new socks. We washed their feet um, and we uh, put new socks on their feet. And it was such a blessing. I mean, it was probably one of my favorite things that we did while we were in Kenya. And then um, when it was time for, but, but I want to tell you, they kept coming. They just kept coming. And it was such a blessing. But I think, you know, as a caterer and having this much food for this many people, it began to like, oh, no, what are we going to do? As they came and they came and they came, they probably numbered 400 or more who came to this 
first annual senior gathering. And they were so excited, so joyous to be there. And we were so happy to see them. So then we began dishing up the lunch. And um, at one point, there was like a bucket brigade. We were going from the kitchen up the stairs to where they were gathering. And um, plate after plate and bowl after bowl. And these bowls were not just skimpy. They were full. Each, every, every single one of, uh, one of them was full. Rice, meat, vegetables. And, um, but it just kept, kept coming and coming and coming. And while we got to participate in what we felt like was, it was feeding the multitude, um, and I have to uh, say that there weren't a lot of leftovers afterwards, <laughs> but God provided. And to be part of something, that, that's what I'm talking about, this participation that he lets us be a part of, but he does the work. I don't know how we fed 400 people when they really prepared for 100, maybe 150 but they were fed, and they were fed to their satisfaction, and then they went away. And these are the people who got to participate, those disciples that Jesus brings along. And all you have to do is say yes sometimes. It may not be in Kenya. It may be at the Canby Center. It may be in the schools in Canby. It will probably be right here in this church because I tell you, we, there's places that you can serve here. But God provides ways for us to be blessed. And they went away so happy, so full of appreciation and love. And we have continued to benefit from this as well because we brought, we met a young man there who's now part of our family and has been part of our family now for four years, Caleb Timboy, who was on the drums this morning. And so um, we, what a blessing it is to always participate, to be, be able to uh, go when he says, come and see. We want to come and see what God's going to do. So what happened when this miracle on the hill was accomplished in the Galilee? Misery was relieved. Hungry people were fed. Disciples were trained and taught as they shared in the work of Jesus. We see that before they ate, they were asked to come under his authority, sit down on the grassy slope. We can submit to Jesus because we know he cares for us. The leftovers were gathered for future work of the gospel. This miracle was written in all four gospels so that we could share it. Not only was it shared with us, but we can share it with others. But more than anything, Jesus was glorified. I want to conclude this morning um, with this passage in uh, verse 14. It says, when people saw him doing this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Why did Jesus refuse to become a king? The reason is because he came into the world for an entirely different reason. To, to become the complete and final sacrifice for our sins. 
this morning I want to read um, this last portion in John chapter 6. And as I read, would you stand with me this morning? It's John chapter 6, 26 through 29. Now, this is after the feeding of the multitude. The people went away fed. They went away satisfied. And, um, but they're still following Jesus around. So I want to read this in verse 26. The truth is, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you saw the miraculous signs. But you shouldn't be so concerned about per perishable things like food. Spend your en energy seeking the eternal life that I, the Son of Man, can give you. For God the Father has sent me for that very purpose. They replied, what does God want us to do? Jesus told them, this is what God wants you to do. Believe in the one he has sent. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Father, for all that you do for us. Father, we want to be people who believe. Believe in who you are and what you have done for us and what you want to continue to do in our lives. Father, I pray for every need that needs to be met this morning. Father, that you, when it's given, when it's handed to you, Lord, it can be enough and it can be more than enough. So, Father, I pray for anyone here who feels a lack in any way, in their resources, in relationships, in their health, Father God. Father, that you, you can take what they have and you can make it enough that we would be good stewards of what we have. So, Father, we give it to you. And Jesus, I just thank you. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your compassion that you welcome us to come and see in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.